How many of you have seen the premiere of The uh, Chosen season three? Can I see your hands? Episode one and two. Okay, only a few of you. Wow, you, you missed it. It's, uh, so you all know about The Chosen, right? The, the, it's been on um, your app. Can I see the hands of those people who have been watching that? Okay, this is an amazing uh, um, movie, TV episode thing that's this, this walking us through the life of Jesus. It's so uh, biblical, it's so realistic, it's so historically accurate, and I love it. So there's been two seasons, and the, this third season just got kicked off this past week, um, and they did episode one and two. Instead of doing it through an app and you casting it on your TV, they put it in the theaters. And so I, my wife and I and our daughter went this past week to watch one of the premieres. And, you know, it's, it's cool where, where everybody's kind of buzzing in the theater and it's quiet and you know, the movie starts. And, and <laughs> this is so funny. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the screen and this lady about 15 feet from me is like clapping her hands and like, Jesus! And I'm like, whoa. Well, yeah, I'm excited about Jesus too, but I've never done that in the theater. And so it was just, I was just kind of wild. It got my attention. And then, you know, something else, Jesus says something amazing. And she's like, yes! And really fast clapping and yelling. And, and I'm, okay. You know? And then, you know, Judas comes up. She's like, woo! You know? and, and I realized this is going to be a soundtrack for the movie. You know, and she's like, watch out! You know, and she's like, you know, Jesus! And, and it just it never stopped. And I think at one point she was trying to dial it down because I think some people were like, what are you doing, woman? But... Uh, as the movie progressed, I went from kind of like surprised to a little annoyed to kind of thinking, huh, we should be clapping for Jesus. You know, why am I, am I letting the movie etiquette thing, you know, kind of take over, you know, my, my feeling about Jesus. And, and I just kind of stuck with me all week long. I've been thinking about this and processing this going, you know, it's, it's, you can know something is true you can, ha you can have, you know, I'm thinking about all the blessings that we have. You can have the knowledge of blessing. In fact, let me put this on the screen. But not experience the joy of that blessing. And so I was a little bit kind of taken aback as I thought about it. I'm like, you know, I think this woman outdid me. You know, I'm, I'm not only a follower of Jesus, I love Jesus. And I tell people about Jesus. But in the movie theater, I was like, you know, no, we just let movie adequate take its place. And I don't know, maybe she was doing the right thing, maybe I was doing the right thing, but it just got me thinking all week long. And I got thinking of other examples. And I, I wonder if this you might think with me about this. Isn't it true that you can know all kinds of gospel truth? You can know things that are such a blessing and, that, and you understand it and it's true and, and you've experienced it, but it hasn't yet shown up in joy in your life. And why is that? In fact, sometimes you can be blessed but not feel blessed. You tra tracking with me? You know, I am blessed and I'm grateful, but I just don't feel blessed today. That doesn't change whether I'm blessed, but there's no expression of that. And then I got thinking about, I don't know, I don't know because it rhymes or just because I was thinking about this, the number of people that I know that are so stressed out right now. And I thought, you know, you can be blessed, <laughs> but stressed. And sometimes that's a great description of the Christmas season, but sometimes it's, un and unfortunately, it describes way too many Christians 
who be, are letting the circumstances of, that they're living in dictate the joy versus the truth that they're living in. And anytime we let the circumstances that we're living in dictate you know, whether or not we're going to be joyful or not, instead of the truth of what we're going through, the truth of, of what God's done in our life, then we need to kind of recalibrate. And I want to do that this morning by inviting you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. And as you're turning to Luke chapter 1, we're, we're preaching to the gospel of Luke, and we're going to come to this next episode in the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And two weeks ago, we talked about how when the angel appeared to Mary, she was troubled, troubled, and, and she was confused. And so uh, to help us get into this, I want you to think with me, how do you respond when the circumstances that you're in, not about the truth that you're in, but the, the circumstances that you're in are troubling, confusing, maybe even hurtful. Um, you know, we don't, we don't hear any stories about Mary being spoken against, but we can imagine, can't we? 2,000 years ago, she's a, she's a young woman, you know, a girl, 13, 14. She gets pregnant, and, you know, people are talking, and things could be really, really ugly. So she's troubled about this. Maybe she's gotten some hurt going on. She's confused. This is where she's living, and this is where some of us maybe find ourselves today and um, if not today, there's times that we go through where, man, at the time, the circumstances that we're in are confusing and troubling and maybe even painful. What do we, how do we respond to that? So if you found Luke chapter one, uh, let's stand to your feet. And you know, let me just catch you up to you know, where we've been the first couple of, um, the first couple of passages, just to make sure that we are all on the same page. In the first part of Luke, we, we saw how this angel, this is verse five, the angel appears to Zechariah, and he's an old guy. His Bible says he's very old, to tell him that he and his wife will have a child in their old age. Next passage, Zechariah's wife gets pregnant. So the promise came true. And then six months later, six months into this pregnancy of Elizabeth, this old woman, the same angel, Gabriel, appears to this virgin. We talked about this last week, this virgin named Mary and tells her, you will conceive and have a son and you will call him Jesus. And we talked about maybe at this point, she's thinking, well, that's all right, I'm, 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 uh, I'm engaged to be married to Joseph. I do hope that you know, we conceive after we consummate our marriage, but she finds out later this not gonna, it's not gonna happen with Joseph. It's gonna happen with the Holy Spirit just kind of speaking into her. And the angel says, as a sign that this is going to come true, the angel tells Mary, a um, hundred miles south of her, that her relative Elizabeth, again, old woman, is already six months pregnant in her pregnancy. So with that uh, back on the mind, we come to verse 39, where it says, at that time, the angel has just left her, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a little town in the hill country of Judea. And I don't know, do in the hill country, is that where the hillbillies live or hill people? But this is where they're going, this hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now watch this. When Elizabeth 
heard Mary's greeting, the baby, who, what's the name of the baby? John the Baptist, but you know, it's not, not yet. It's still, still a baby. The baby leaped in her womb. Crazy. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women. She's speaking to Mary. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord, what an amazing phrase, should come to me as soon as, as the sound of your greeting reached my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. This is the fourth time she used the word. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, my soul glorifies. I'm making it louder. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And she launches into what we call the, the Magnificat. Because in the Latin, this is magnifies. The Lord, you know, um, um, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. That's the fourth time the word blessed shows up. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who, fe who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the inmost thoughts and he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham. At this point, Abraham had, hadn't lived for 2,000 years. He is remembered to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. End of quote, end of the Magnificat. And then Luke adds, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Okay, you may be seated. So, so with this question ringing in our ear, how do you respond when you're feeling troubled and when you're confused? We see, this is how Mary responded. It says, at that time, and remember when I was reading this, I said right before verse 39, verse 38 says, then the angel left her. So the angel dumps all these promises, blows her mind. She's confused. She's troubled. She's like, what in the world? Her eyes are big. Angel leaves her. Boom. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to this town in the whole country. Now, I, I mentioned that it's about 100 miles. It probably would have taken her four or five days. And I've got questions. You know, if, if, if going through hill country, traveling by herself as a 13, 14-year-old, did she, did she go by herself? Or did she wait for a caravan? Most times people would travel together. Did she wait for a caravan to go down to Judea? Because Judea is where Jerusalem is. So there might have been a caravan going down to Jerusalem. Did she travel with them? Why is she going down here? Why doesn't she talk to her mom or her dad about this? She's heard all these promises. And this, this next couple of verses is this little travelogue of what Mary does right on the heels of hearing this troubling news, right on the heels of hearing this confusing news. I'm struck by the fact that she doesn't process with her mom. We don't even hear about her mom. Not only not her name, we don't even know, you know that she's got a mother, except that you know, she, she must, but, but we never hear about her or her father. 
or any other family that's living in Nazareth. She doesn't want to process with them. She wants to go down to this hill country area where her relative Elizabeth. So her response when she's troubled, when she's confused, is that she is it's imitating what we talked about last week. So I'll just give you a little review of last week. We said that we see Mary believing God, surrendering to God, trusting in God, and then cooperating with him. And that kind of gets wrapped up today with this word trust. Mary responded by trusting God. And what did that trust look like? This verse is gonna show us. At that time, she got ready and hurried down to this town. In other words, she acted on what she had heard. It's a small thing, but it's a significant thing. She's got this troubling news. I mean, it's exciting, but it's also freaky. She's got this news that she's going to get pregnant, that the Holy Spirit is going to speak into her life, and that, that's how she's going to become pregnant. And if you were here last week, we talked that as the more the angel talked, the more she realized, whoa, 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 this isn't just, you know, that I'm going to have a son and I'm supposed to name him Jesus. This, this son is going to be Messiah. He's going to be, you know, the, the, maybe even God himself. And so she's like, how can this be? She's wondering about this. I would have thought she would have processed with her family. Instead, she wants to go be with Elizabeth. I also would have thought that as soon as the angel left her, she would have, we would have seen the Magnificat. As soon as the angel leaves, she's like, praise God. Thank God. Wow, rejoicing. But that's not what the text says. In fact, there's a good week that, that transpires from the time she's heard this amazing news to the time that she responds with joy. Anybody else see that, that, that gap there? the most incredible news in the world, but the Bible says she doesn't respond with joy. She doesn't respond with praising God. She doesn't thank God. She's like, I gotta figure this out. And so she goes down to these people. And again, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Elizabeth and Zechariah, how they were godly, um, righteous people. So she's seeking out others who she knows, who she trusts, who were close to God. That's Elizabeth Zechariah. And I just want to pause here and invite you to consider this question we've been asking. What do you do when you're troubled, when you're confused? Do you isolate? Mary doesn't. Do you just kind of go by yourself and just figure this out? I mean, I don't know how this is going to happen. I'm going to get pregnant. I'm not even married yet. You know, this is so confusing. I got to figure this out. So many people today, when they hear troubling news, when they hear confusing news, when things are difficult, they isolate. I don't know whether it's COVID that has brought this upon us or whether it's just something we've kind of gotten into this mode, but I see people isolating all the time. Got bad news from, from work, you know, isolate. Got bad news from the doctor. I mean, I, uh, this, yesterday I was visiting with a neighbor in our neighborhood who have got a terrible sudden news that their mom had died and they were just reeling and they asked me to do the funeral. So I'm doing the funeral tonight. I've never met this woman, but these people are my neighbors and I love them. And they're just been thrown into this confusion, thrown into this troubling moment. And how do we respond? And, you know, as Christians, we have the gospel. We have the word of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have each other. But so many times I see believers isolate and just be by themselves. And I'm struck by Mary acting on this amazing news and seeking out others who are close to God. 
Now let's see what happens when she comes into the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. We were amazed by that. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Incredible. And now she starts rejoicing. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed. So we read through this, blessed here, blessed there, blessed. All these blessings, especially this one here, blessed is she who has believed. So somehow Elizabeth was able to tell that Mary, this young girl, this 13 or 14 year old girl who's been blown away by this news is acting on what the message was. She's seeking out godly counsel and she's believed that what the Lord has said to her would come true. So that's, that's actually the next thing you can write down. And I would flip these if I was, you know, not preaching through the text because believing comes before acting, but I want to walk through the text. I believe that she's acting because she believes. This is an important thing for us to see. I'm going to talk about this throughout the sermon is that believing is not just something that happens up here. I'm, if you're listening to the radio or you can't see, I'm pointing to my head. So many times we turn the knowledge of Scripture, the knowledge of theology, the, um, the truth of Christianity, we keep it up here in our head. And we say, I believe, but it doesn't affect how we live, how we act, how we treat people. And in the Bible, belief always works its way down into the heart because believing is something that I do with my mind and my heart. And in order for it to be biblical faith, it must yield itself into action. So you don't see people in the Bible believing something intellectually, but it having no effect on their life. There's always a connection between believing and acting. And that's what we see here with Mary. Again, just challenge yourself with asking yourself this question. Is what I believe reflected in how I live? Is what I say I believe reflected in how I act at home, at work, in the neighborhood? Is there a connection between my belief and my action? Mary models for us, and Elizabeth sees this, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So that's what she's believing on. That's what she's acting on is these promises that God's been making. And we remember last week we said there was 12 of these promises. Some of them made just specifically to Mary. Others promises that were, had been made to the whole nation of Israel and they were actually being fulfilled in Mary's own life. This is just so amazing. It's enough that these promises are amazing to her and going to be impacting her and believing and influencing her life, but that she's going to start seeing the promises that God's been making for thousands of years. Man, thousands of years. How long can you hold on to a promise? And now watch the connection between the blessing, the believing, and the promises. Elizabeth, filled with the Spirit, sees that the blessing upon Mary is because she had belief. So you could write down, blessing comes from believing. And actually, we, we, should, we should say blessing comes from that active believing. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian today, that's how you became a Christian. The blessing of salvation, the blessing of the new birth, the blessing of, now, of you now being a Christian 
came because you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted him and lived that out, amen? So that blessing came because you believed and that's the way that God operates. And remember I said last week how there are so many promises that God's given that we don't latch onto, that we don't hold onto, that we don't claim. And that the blessing of that promise in our life will come as we believe and then act on that belief. And it seems to me that all this coming together is what produces the joy in Mary. So instead of the joy just coming when she heard the news, and then a week later, she begins the process with Elizabeth, that's when the joy comes. So very next verse, verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, glorifies the Lord, and this word rejoices. So Mary responds by believing and acting out that, and then she rejoices, and the way she does it, it's so I just love this, she starts thanking God. So I thought, this is great. This is a Sunday after Thanksgiving. It's a good time for us to talk about to thank God for the blessings that he has poured out upon us because that's what Mary's gonna do now. She's gonna start walking through some blessings, seven of them, a biblical number, seven of these promises that the angel has made to her and, uh, and seven promises that she's gonna now praise God for, thank God for, and these are promises that we can get a hold of as well. It's so cool. Uh, but let me, let me put the verse on the screen and then block out something. It's, uh, maybe I can do it. Oh, there we go. So she says, uh, I rejoice in God. I thank God for he has been mindful. That's what, that's what the NIV says. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Now you can see servant. From now on, all people, all nations, generations will call me blessed. In the Greek language, this phrase, been mindful, is actually the translation of one Greek word and it's the word seen. In other words, little Mary, 13-year-old Mary, living in this no-name town, remember last week, a nobody living with no-name parents uh, in a nobody, in a no, nowhere town, in a nowheresville, you know. And she's a nobody, but she recognizes God sees her. And I love this because as a pastor, I sometimes sit with people, and I, you know what, I'm gonna be, this is true for me too, there are times when I feel, notice the word feel, I feel like God doesn't see what I'm going through. Can, has this ever happened to you? Come on, be honest. You, you may know it in your head, you know, God's with me, God sees me, but it doesn't feel like he sees you. Maybe he's paying attention to somebody else. You know, he's so busy solving these problems, but it's so good, this just simple thing. Mary says, God sees me sees the, the humble state that I'm in, that, you know, that I'm poor last week. I'm a peasant. I, I'm a nobody. I, I don't have anything. I don't, I don't have a great pedigree. You know, nobody knows my parents. They're not, they're not famous people. I'm just, a, I'm just a nobody, but God sees me. So I just want to pause here and just say to you, whether you're a teenager like Mary, because teenage years are hard, God sees you. That's, that can save your life, that truth. God sees you. Doesn't feel like mom and dad see you. Doesn't feel like you're, you're invisible at school. Doesn't feel like anybody of importance sees you, but God sees you. Let that sink in. 
Or maybe you're in the exact opposite. You're in your 70s, your 80s, and you've walked with God and things have gone well, but lately things have just kind of gone bad for you. And it feels, it feels like God's abandoned you. Like he doesn't see what you're going through. There's a story in the Old Testament, the story of Hagar, who felt this way. She was kicked out of her home. She was sent out with a, a young child to kind of make it on her own. And she felt like no one sees me. No one notices me. I'm, I'm just gonna disappear into the desert. An amazing story. And then God shows up and she is blown away by the fact that while everybody else has abandoned her, everybody else is trying to forget her, she says, you're the God that sees me. That's what she says. You're the God that sees me. I take comfort in that. I hope that some of you will. And maybe it's not that you're 13 or you're 83. Maybe, you know, you just got divorced or maybe you got bad news from somebody or maybe you're just going through a hard time and you feel like God doesn't see me. He does. He's the God that sees us. Can we thank God for that blessing this morning? And I'm actually kind of getting ahead of myself because this is verse, you know, 47. Um, earlier, it says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, that's the second thing I want you to write down is that Mary realizes that God is saving me. This is so significant that she recognizes, as again, as a 13-year-old girl, that what God's doing is saving the world, but specifically her, and it's all the more significant based upon what we said last week. Last week, we talked about how so many religious people around the world worship Mary. Remember, those of you who were here last week, you remember we talked about this and how they pray to her this prayer, uh, Hail Mary, praise Mary, full of grace. And it's not a biblical concept. We're not supposed to pray to people. We only pray to God. And I talked about how the majority of the religious world prays to Mary. This prayer, the, the Hail Mary prayer, gets prayed more than any other prayer in the world. And we were just kind of gotten sideways there. And I don't know if I said this last week in both services, but I went on to say that people not only pray to her, but they worship her, and they invented this doctrine called the Immaculate Conception, which basically says that because Jesus, in order for Jesus to be sinful, Mary, or sinless, sinless, in order for Jesus to be sinless, Mary had to be sinless. So in her sinless state, she conceived sinless Jesus. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit came upon her. That's how she was able to conceive. And so she's a sinful woman, a sinful person, just like you and I. She's not holy. She's not righteous. She's not worshipful. She's just a regular person, blessed, but not immaculately conceiving. She's just a regular person. And if she was immaculately conceiving, if she was sinless, she wouldn't need a Savior. And she recognizes, I need a savior. Well, whatever the church is gonna say about me later, I know I'm a sinner who's a humble person who needs a savior. Right out of her own mouth, we see this. So I wanna help us see that God sees her. God is saving her. And so she says, from now on, all generations, that includes us, will call her blessed. And so we can use the phrase, blessed Virgin Mary, but I just want us, I want us to keep in mind, let's keep the biblical understanding of Blessed Virgin Mary and not the stuff that's been added years later, understand? 
So yeah, she's blessed and God is blessing her in an amazing way. He's doing great things. So she's just thanking God, praising God for all the great things that he's done and is doing in her life. It just gets better and better. Then she talks about this next verse, verse 50. His mercy. Again, if she's sinless, she doesn't need mercy. If she's sinless, she doesn't need grace. Mercy and grace is just for people who sin who fail, who miss the mark. And she recognizes that God's mercy is extending to those who fear him. That means respect him, who are living in reverent awe of him from generation to generation. So she recognizes that God sees her, saving her, blessing her, doing great things for her, showing her mercy. And her thanksgiving just keeps just overflowing and that thanksgiving causes her to reflect, again, not just on God, but now upon herself. In these next verses, verses 51, 52, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. Me, she's talking about me. I'm the humble one. So God humbles the proud and exalts the humble. This, this is amazing that this 13-year-old girl sees this. I read a book recently that pointed out that Mary's theology reflected in the, these verses. Her theology as a 13-year-old girl, and just remind you, in those days, she was not allowed to go to rabbi school because there was no such thing as a female rabbi. She may have heard some basic foundational stuff because they even learned their alphabet and their mathematics from the Bible. But she was maybe even illiterate, but she certainly... It was nowhere near as trained as the scribes and the Pharisees, men who spent their whole lives studying the scriptures, memorizing the Bible, um, learning theology. And this book pointed out that Mary's theology as a 13-year-old illiterate girl is deeper, is more biblical, is more sophisticated, is more powerful than the theology of the scribes and the Pharisees who made a living teaching people theology. Isn't that crazy? Someone go, whoa. Someone go, whoa. I mean, I just, I'm so blown away by that. And I just, it's one of the reasons I love Mary. I, I don't know, has she been a person who's been paying attention or is the Holy Spirit just downloading this truth? Because this line here about you know, the humbling the proud and exalting the humble, that's a biblical truth that we see throughout the Bible. He who exalts himself will be humbled. He who exalts himself and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now let's turn into Mary's gender. She who humbles herself will be exalted. She who exalts herself will be humbled. Mary seems to know this. Some things that people still can't seem to figure out. She grasps what God is doing theologically. She grasps grasps what God is doing historically. She grasps what God is doing, fulfilling his promises through the scriptures. She gets it. And it's like, wow. And then this last promise, remember I said there's seven of these things she thanks God for. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham. Remind you, when we're Mary's living, Abraham lived 2,000 years before that. She's, she's channeling into a message that was given to Abraham 2,000 years ago. 
and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So let me catch you up here. Abraham is the father of the Jews, the father of the Israelites. He's the first one that God made this promise to that I will bless you and that through your seed, through your own body, through your son and grandson and grandson and all the way, all these descendants, I will bless the world. I'm gonna show you the scripture in a couple of seconds. And, and Mary grasps that what the angel is telling her fulfills a promise that's 2,000 years old, that she grasps that God is keeping his promises. I'm just like, thank you, Mary. You, you get it. In fact, she gets it more than some of you today because some of you still are struggling with, can God be trusted to keep his promise? Yes! Over and over again, the Bible calls us to believe, to trust God, to trust the promises he has made, to put our confidence in the promises that he has made. Instead of looking around the circumstances that we're living in and trying to decide what should I do. Thank you, Mary, for teaching this. And, and let me now show you this scripture. When she talks about how he's being merciful to Abraham, and I told you about this is way back in Genesis. Here it is, Genesis chapter 12, where God uses this promised language, I will. Remember, this is Abram. It's not even Abraham yet. It's Abram. He does not have any children. He's an old man. His wife is old. And God is saying to him, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. We're talking about him now 4,000 years later, 2,000 years before Mary. And now 4,000 years, we're talking about Abraham. Wow. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples. Okay, can I see the hands of everybody who's a people here? All the peoples, that's us. All the peoples on earth, an incredible promise, will be blessed through you. Not because of you, but through you. Abraham doesn't have a boy yet. I don't have a person to carry on my name. I don't have a kid. And yet you're giving me this promise. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God, just like Mary. Believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. This is, a, this is a verse that Paul picks up on in Romans and in Galatians to help us see that Abraham is not our father because he was a good man, because he did good things. He was a, he's our father because he believed God even when he was troubled and confused. He believed God and acted on what God said. And that is this faith that the Bible keeps lifting up. And that's why Mary is so worth looking at because she believed she had faith and she acted. And so the very next verse in my Bible, it's verse four, shows us Abraham acting on what the Lord said. So Abraham went just as the Lord told him. He, he acted on what he believed. So this is what I wanna invite you into this morning. I want to invite you into the promises that changed the world. This is our last sermon in this series. Next week, we launch a new series called Getting Ready for Christmas. We're going to still stay in Luke. So this is our last time to talk about the promises that changed the world. And I want to ask you this last sermon. 
in this series. Are you believing? Remember we said it's believing and acting. Are you believing? Are you trusting and acting on the promises that God has made? When I asked you that question last week, I remember I said, this is not a rhetorical question. I'm not asking you in a kind of religious, spiritual way. I'm asking you in the daily life that you're living, are you living out what you say you believe? Are you living in the promises? If, you know, we could see standing on the promises. Are you standing on the promises that God has made? Or are they just promises in an old book that the pastor spits and yells about once a week? These promises are for you, for all the peoples. You remember a couple of weeks, we're gonna see the angels say, this good news is for all the people. So I feel a burden here this morning that you, that every one of you believe the promises of God, that he promised to send us a savior, that he promised if we will call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. That if we will put our faith in him, trust in him, if we will put our confidence in him, he will save us. That promise that I will never leave you or forsake you, that I will go with you, I will be with you, that I will pour out my spirit. All these promises that God's made. I have a burden this morning to help you see, ask you, are you living in those promises? Again, are you believing and acting them in them? Because that's where the joy comes, amen? So you can fill out in the last thing in your, your outline. Experiencing God's joy comes from believing and acting on God's promises. I think that's why we don't see Mary expressing joy just after the angel left, but she goes down to, to spend a week or a couple months with Elizabeth and she's thinking about these promises and she's, she's processing them and she's realizing what God's doing and then the joy comes. So today, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I wanna challenge you to do that right now, this first Sunday of Advent. I wanna invite you, this, this covenant-keeping God who made promises about you and me 4,000 years ago is still the same God who keeps his promises to you. So if you're here today and you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his promise to save you if you will trust him, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Do that today, right now. Trust in him for the salvation he promised. In fact, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer to do that in just a second. But there's, there's many here who have put their faith in Christ. You've just started your walk. Are you, are you living in the promises? Are you, are you trusting in the faithfulness of God? See, our, our faithfulness, watch me, kind of does this kind of thing. We trust, we feel, we trust, we feel, we obey. But God's faithfulness is steady. Great is his faithfulness. Put your trust and walk with him. Trust him by believing and acting on that faith, on that belief, and watch the joy. See, if you just believe, but you're not living it out, there's not gonna be the joy. But the believing and the acting that out, that's where the joy comes. And that's God's promised blessing to you. So let's all close our eyes. Father, for, for those who today want to surrender their life to you, I just lift my voice in prayer for them right now. 
that they would trust in you, that specifically they would trust Jesus in your death on the cross, paying the penalty for their sin. They would believe that, that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for the sins of the whole world. That's done. Now all that's left is that we believe. We believe that and begin to act on that, begin to follow Jesus. So if you're here today and you're hearing my voice and you've never done that, let's just pray after me. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Pray out loud. I believe that your death on the cross paid the penalty for my sin. I'm trusting in you today. I'm trusting in you for salvation. And I will follow you. I I turn from my own way. I repent of my sin. I will follow you, Jesus. I will trust you. Put my hope in you. Amen. Now, Father, I know that there are many people here who do know you, who do trust in you. May all of us, brand new Christians and seasoned Christians alike, may today be a day where we say to you, I believe you. I will trust in your faithfulness. You're the God who keeps his promises. You're the God of the covenant. Great is your faithfulness. I will trust you. I pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.